Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. So we've got a, a name who's familiar to all of you. We've got Bill Skilton here, and he is at the Lancaster Show tying up some Helgramite patterns. You've heard me talk about that. Maybe talk about your inspiration for this fly, your materials, where people can get them. Basically, uh, just talk about your fly tying. Okay. Hi, Rob. Thank you. Um, the the Helgramite pattern basically is a combination of uh, inspirations. Uh, you basically, if you look at my Helgramite, you'll notice uh, that the wing case in the head of the fly is made of foam. It's very thin foam, and it looks like a beetle. And the legs protrude from both sides. And I was tying foam beetles for so long. Orvis has handled them for over 20 years, my quick sight beetle. And I've tied thousands of dozens. And you sit there and you look at that beetle over and over and over again. And I thought, boy, that'd make a nice wing case in the head on a nymph or a stonefly. And I happened to be tying Helger mites, and I thought, why don't I throw a little bit of foam on it? So I came up with a foam that you literally stretch. It's called stretchy foam. And it became super thin, about as thick as a paper, sheet of paper, 32nd or 332nd of an inch. And I started tying the, the Helgramite using it for wing case, pinchers, and the head. And it's real shiny and just perfect 
Helgramite. Uh, the, the body of the Helgramite and the tail, uh, yeah, I get a lot of movement from rayon. It's a rayon chenille. I call it woolly bugger marabou chenille. And I feral the tail and just wrap a little. It's just a big nymph pattern. Wrap a little of the chenille up the shank. And then for the legs, I use, uh, it's in the craft industry. It's called eyelash yarn. And I dye up some other colors, and I have some with sparkle. But you get about three-quarters of an inch of material and lots of movement in the water. And that's the key to this fly. Uh, you've got movement just like the real fly. And you've got shine to it with the wing case. And as this fly moves in the water, um, it just mimics the Helgramite. It, it just swims like it. It's, you add as much weight to it as you want. And there, there's no wrong way to fish it. And people are catching steelhead on it. I get calls and emails from people catching carp and trout and, of course, smallmouth and largemouth. And that's kind of a bread and butter big fish fly for me. Um, I, I tell people all the time, especially for smallmouth in big water, fish two or three of them at a time. Just tie them on as droppers. Don't be afraid of them. If they tangle up, cut one or two of them off, but try it. You, you hook a smallmouth, you're bringing the fish in. Lots of times there's another smallmouth chasing it. They're excited. They want to take that fly out of the other fish's mouth. And if you've got a 10-inch, 12-inch smallmouth, and you see another fish with it, and you're fishing droppers, just drop your rod tip and let that fish swim away with dragging one or two of your flies. And it's very possible you'll end up with a double right then and there. So that, that's kind of a little of uh, the inspiration, the fishing of it. I kind of jumped right into that. There's no wrong way to fish it. There's no wrong way. Most common colors could be black to match what a Helgramite looks like? Uh, black's a great color, Rob. Uh, that's what I'm tying here today. Um, guy, fly fishermen, they love the black. It's match the hatch. The black and the olive, a little bit of brown. But, you know, I have a bass pond, and I'm a bass guy, too. So I tell them all the time, I say, don't forget purple, don't forget blue and, and orange, some of these other colors that the bass love. The uh, bass fishermen, the bait casters and spinners fishing jigs and plastics, and the plastic worms, it's black and blue and, and purple. Build those colors right into this Helgramite. Don't be afraid to mix orange, even chartreuse. I mean, the bass will take those colors. No worries. Um, let's talk about some of your other patterns. you got the quick sight beetle. And that's how I mean. I knew you from the small beetle that looks like the <laughs> kind of like an engorged tick that you used to sell at Orvis. And we only had like a dozen of them. And they were like, we kept them secret. And then I saw you at the University of Maryland show, I'm going to say 13 years ago. So I've been following your patterns since then. But yeah, that beetle is it's brown trout candy. Thanks, Rob. Um, yeah, the beetle, I actually have two flies that Orvis has handled since 1990, so that's 20 couple years. You've got um, a basic flat beetle, easy to tie, just takes a minute or two to tie. It's black foam with an orange spot on it, and the spot does stay on it. The spot is so I can see it. And this is a takeoff of some of um, George Harvey's patterns. Uh, 35 years ago, he tied ants, and he would take orange fingernail polish, and he would put on the black ants. 
and he, he did that so that it was easier to see. And that's the key to this quick sight ant. Um, you've got an orange spot out there. So especially in low light conditions, under uh, brush and trees, black is very difficult to see. With a flat fly laying on the surface, it's almost impossible to see, regardless how well you can see. You look for the swirl or splash, but I wanted a little more of an edge, so I put that spot on there. Some people say, well, what if it lands upside down? Then you've got an orange spot that the trout's looking at. My response is, do you ever fish an orange strike indicator? You do. Orange, yellow, chartreuse. Guess what? The trout come up and hit your indicator. So that orange spot never bothered me a bit. It, it, it allows me to see it. The fly gives me just a little edge over the trout when they take it. I'm ready for them. The quick sight ant comes in a couple of colors, blacks and browns, uh, rust, dark brown. Um, I always like the black fly first. That's my dominant color. But when everybody's fishing black, I like to go to a, a brown or a cinnamon or rust color. Uh, Orvis handles it with a white head. It's just a little black cylinder, a couple of turns of hackle. I like a little finesse fish in this ant. Um, it catches fish. It catches trout all over the world. The white head, um, again, it doesn't bother the trout a bit. It's laminated foam. Um, it catches fish. And, again, it gives me that little edge. Uh, it rides in the surface film. Uh, I, I can't say anything bad about it. Uh, everybody has their own color, so I make the heads their own preference of colors. I make orange and chartreuse and yellow and red and white. Again, Orvis handles the white. They call it Skelton's Quick Sight Ant, and they've sold it for over 20 years, and it, they just sell a ton of them. I've had people say, I've seen your flies in trees. You know, it, I mean, you can see the fly, um, and, that, and that's what I'm all about. I like to see the fly. Uh, when the trout takes it, I want to hook them. That's it. See that kid's mohawk? Pardon me? That kid's mohawk that just walked by? Oh, jeez. I, I saw him earlier down here. I said, I like that. Pop a balloon on his head. <laughs> um, uh, so another thing is, uh, you know, there's a, a specific fly to where you live in Pennsylvania, the honey bug. Can you talk about that? You used to sell the honey bug yarn. That's a fly that doesn't really seem to be fished anywhere else. Um, you're, you're right, Rob. It, uh, the neat thing with that fly, it'll catch fish. Um, it'll catch native fish. It'll catch trout anywhere. Um it's a, it's a cotton chenille, and it's a little different um, uh, pattern. It's, it's kind of evolved over the years, and I'm trying to think of the gentleman. I think it was Berger who invented it back in the 60s. He came up with that idea, and they, he made them to, I'm sure, imitate groceries, cheese and corn. Uh, they were yellow and orange and pink, and uh, nowadays we do, of course, the egg patterns and such, but the honey bug yarn is pretty neat uh burger actually tied it with no no fly tying bobbin and thread uh the true honey bug material you could pull three or four strands of the thread out of the center of it he'd wrap that on a hook and then he would attach the honey bug material the actual yarn the cotton chenille and he would run it all up to the eye and tie it off and he would actually then remove the material and make a little tail. It'd leave three or four strands of thread oftentimes stick out. And he was pretty unique. 
of attire. He would sit. I saw him at the Eastern Outdoor Show, the Sportsman Show in Harrisburg, probably in the early 70s. And he would actually have a little jar of Clorox there, and he would stick a needle in his Clorox, and he would tie a honey bug. He would take the Clorox, run it across the top or the sides of the honey bug, and that Clorox would immediately bleach out the color and make it spots and fade the color. And uh, kind of unique. We use solvents and paints and such at this time. But um, me as a young fella, I was probably 15, 16 when I saw that. And that, that influenced me. I, I still tie them today. Uh, again, we do sucker spawn and eggs and, of course, the salmon and the steelhead. Um, but people forgot about the honey bug. But the old timers... Uh, anyone that's fished it, they probably have some in their box still. Uh, uh, it's a good pattern. It's, it's such one of those regional flies that no one outside of this real kind of mid-Atlantic niche knows about. Uh, you're right, Rob. The In fact, the own, there's two people that I know uh, actually sold that material. Um, the, one of the last is E. Hilly up in Williamsport, and they closed about three years ago. So the um, material is very difficult to come by. I still have a little bit left. I dyed in a few colors, as you know. Uh, don't know why the trout take it. I call it groceries. Uh, the corn, it's yellow. It's orange like cheese. It, um, uh, Burger used to say, no, these are grubs. You know, these are nymphs. These are, you know, um, he didn't want to say this is Velveeta or this is a salmon egg. But today it's acceptable. We, as I said, we tied the egg flies. You know, it's huge industry. Um, and you're right, it is uh, south-central Pennsylvania. It was a real famous fly for the old-timers back in the 60s when they fished, when they opened um, Fisherman's Paradise up in Belfont, up at State College. So the old-timers, they were into those cork flies, the corkers, and they were into the honey bugs. And they both kind of gone by the wayside now. You mentioned earlier about you making the foam. I remember a conversation with your wife that she came home one day and wanted to cook a turkey in the oven, and you had foam. You were doing something in the oven, and there was, like, this awful aroma. So you kind of make up your own stuff as you go. Uh, Right, Rob. I actually – there's some materials we sell in the industry that are actually made for fly tying, but very few. Most of them, you go to your A.C. Moores and Michaels and Kraft, and I know you're big, you're big into saying, Bill, look what I found at A.C. Moore. It's, it's for the sewing industry, embroidery, upholstery. I mean, they're making scarves and gloves and stuffed animals out of this stuff. We incorporate it into fly tying, and that's the fly tying trade because we're such a small trade. But I actually customize some materials. I make some foams. Uh, when you heat foam, you actually create a skin on it. And that's how I come up with a stretchy foam for the Helgramite. It allows me to stretch the foam. I'm not using craft foam, your basic craft sheet foam, other than for some Chernobyl patterns, some, you know, frog patterns, some odds and ends. Uh, crease flies, and it's excellent for crease fly. But uh, a lot of your foams... Um, you need to tweak them a little bit to do what I do with them. I actually make three-dimensionals, and, and I call it user-friendly foam. Um, you heat it, and it changes uh, consistency. Uh, it allows you to stretch it. It creates a skin. 
uh, prevents the thread from biting into it and actually cutting your foam. Uh, anyone that's tied with some craft foam, they know a little too much tension on the thread. Uh, the old expression, cuts through it like a hot knife through butter, you cut through your foam. So I don't use just basic craft foam for most of my patterns. It's customized materials. Take a quick break. We got a guy here. Uh, so where were we? Uh, let's talk about something. You got a bunch of uh, products out that you can get through your eBay skill toe. Was there no room for the N? Um, uh, good one. Uh, actually, I guess my my name on eBay is Skilto, and I'm not sure if that's you would know better than me. But is that my password or that's something? That, my company Skilto on eBay. That's your like company name on. That that that's what I sell under right in Bowling Springs. But if you just search in eBay, if you if you're searching for an Orvis rod, you'd type in Orvis rod. If you want to find my materials on eBay, just type Skilton in. Just type S K I L T O N in the search block, and some of my fly tying materials will appear. And we we were talking about customizing materials. I do have a line of foam bodies, um, foam sheets. Um, I'm into a lot of metallic, um, iridescent-type materials. I'm into yarns. Uh, I like movement. I like certain yarns for a reason. As I mentioned, rayon you get movement from. Uh, I'm into um, egg yarns and sucker-spawn yarns, things that uh, have multi-purposes. You you know, I hate materials that you can tie one fly with it. Even my quick sight ant bodies, you can tie numerous type of ant bodies with it. You can tie beetles with it. Uh, you can use it as a parachute post, a strike indicator. I like that type of material, and that's why I call it user-friendly type materials. But I have a whole line of Chernobyls and frog bodies and uh, you name it. Uh, as I mentioned, it, uh, it's my ADD or something. Um, it's very easy for me to visualize this and then uh, come up with a product. Um, we can also buy your products at the Yellow Breaches Fly Shop? Yes, I, I do sell to uh, a number. Uh, I'm sure you can find things uh, Googling it, but uh, I sell to Chris Helm out at Whitetail Fly Tying uh, in Ohio, and I sell to Fly Tires Heaven. Uh, up uh, north of Harrisburg. I mean, I, I do still sell to fly shops. I just most of my product actually, Rob goes to a company called Fulling Mill in England. A lot of American fly tires, even if they've been tying for twenty years, they don't know Fulling Mills. They know Umqua, uh, but Fulling Mills, Fulling Mill is huge. They handle all the Orvis accounts. They handle a thousand fly shops. Plus, Orvis may have I don't know. Uh, 75 or 100 stores by now. Um, so I send my materials to England, Japan, and a ton of it goes to South Africa, gets tied into flies, uh, comes back to the States, and gets distributed to fly shops. That's my bread and butter, uh, Japan and England. And do you have a preference for a vice, scissors, hooks, and uh, other tools that you use? Sure. I, I do. It It all goes back to uh, what I've been tying on for a long time. Um, I like the Regal Vice. I like the pedestal. I like the stainless steel jaws. I'm on the pro staff for Regal, but honestly, I've been tying on Regal um, 
for probably, well, actually, um, when Orvis handled Regal Vices back in the mid-70s, I started on a Regal Vice. Before that, it was a Thompson A Vice, the same slant. But I've been a commercial fly tire for years. As I mentioned, I tied for Orvis. I tied for Leonard and Barry Beck and just lots of shops. And I like that slant. I'm lazy. I like to put my hand on the vice when I tie, and it's comfortable. Uh, so definitely I'm a Regal guy. I'm not a rotary huge fan. I'm a no bells and whistles or wing nuts. I like just squeeze it, put the hook in, tie fly. That's it. I, I love the Mattarelli bobbins also. That's my go-to bobbin uh, with the Regal. Um, I like two pair of scissors. When I tie, I use two pair. Um, That's two pairs at once you have in your hand. Uh, doesn't everybody use two pair? Not me. I'd poke my eye out. When you're, when you're tying flies to pay your electric bills and your mortgage, uh, you want to go as fast as you can. And I don't set scissors down. I have a fine tip scissor. And I have a serrated edge. Uh, I like the Thompson um, serrated edge. So I have a really heavy-duty pair of scissors, and I have a real fine tip. And if I need to cut lead wire, not that you want to, but I could use my heavy scissors. Or if I need to cut a nice straight line or cut bulky chenille, I don't want to use a real nice pair of scissors. Uh, You're going to spread them. You're going to spread them out, cutting chenille. And I don't mean if you're just a tire that ties a few flies, but if you tie dozens of flies and you're cutting chenille, get a heavy-duty pair of scissors to do it. And if you're tying dry flies and little ants and trimming hackle, get a nice fine tip. Put them both in your hand. Start with one and practice a little bit. Lots of times you can cut and you don't have to even put your thumb in the hole. You you squeeze it, brace it against the palm of your hand, and you'll cut. Put your thumb in it occasionally. Start with one scissors. You may never need two scissors. Uh, But, again, when you're tying commercially, it's all about speed. And I'm not going to pick my scissors up and set them down and pick them up and set them down. Um, I like the uh, Mattarelli bobbin threader and cleaner. It's a simple gizmo. It's a simple tool, but I like it. fits with my Mattarelli bobbin, and I like the Mattarelli whip finish. Uh, Some people do it by hand. I'm not out to impress anybody. I did it by hand 35 years ago when I got a Mattarelli bobbin. I don't do it by hand anymore. I always say that's the most fun I have in fly tying. Uh, It's fun. Five or six quick turns, you've got got the job done. Um, I use a teardrop bobbin. I'm sorry, a teardrop hackle pliers. Sorry about that. And uh, it works fine. I also use a Herb Howard hackle pliers, kind of a heavy duty. It works fine. Those are my two hackle pliers that I like. I always tell people when I'm doing shows, I'm not here to impress you with my tools. This is what I use. This is it. Do I have more tools, fancier stuff at home? Yes. But this is what I use. This is my bread and butter and my go-to tools. Super. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Maybe uh, your influences in fly time? I consider you, I mean, I, 
like you said, I'm always trying to find stuff to figure out what you're doing. You once used the, the term trade secret, and I always like that. Um, you know, who did you get some of your ideas from? Okay. Um, uh, I probably started tying flies when I was about five years old, and I started um, tying on matchsticks, wood matchsticks, and sticks in general. And my mother wouldn't let me have hooks. I had a little cookie can uh, that I kept yarn in it and feathers and my little sticks. And I had no tools. Um, my brother was 10 years older than me, and he tied flies commercially for Orvis, Tony Skilton. And uh, he went to college and then went to work for Orvis. He was the director of their fly fishing schools. And the owner of Orvis, Lee Perkins, sent my brother to Iceland and Chile and many places around the world uh, 35 years ago. So my influence was my older brother, who wouldn't let me use his tools because I was too bloody little to, you know, he didn't want me messing with them. But I would go in his room occasionally, and he could tell when I moved something. I guess he knew exactly where he put it because he would say, Billy, I told you, don't be messing with my tools. But I literally grew up... Um, in a, in a family of fly tires, my great uncle was Ross Trimmer. And if you look in uh, Lefty Cray's book and Charlie Fox's and I should say Lefty Cray's books, um, Paul Jorgensen's, um, just in, Don Dubois and Ernie Swebert, my great uncle's mentioned and pictured in so many books, it's unbelievable. He introduced Ernie Swebert to the Latorte and named the Latorte Hopper that Ernie Swebert came up with. Uh, he was Lefty Cray's fishing buddy, and Vince Marineros and Charlie Fox. I mean, I grew up with these people. So these were my influences as I was growing up. And then you add Ed Koch to the mix. Um, Joe Brooks introduced my brother to Orvis and got him time flies commercially so uh, before Lefty Cray you had Joe Brooks on the scene. I was a little boy growing up and then into a young man and tying flies for Ed Koch when I was in high school for his fly shop. So I I just there was I had so many influences I'm sure I missed people in here but um, Lefty Cray helped me with my book um, you know, uh, he a funny situation there. He said, Billy, you have an eye problem. And I said, what do you mean? I know I wear contacts, but I can see fine. You know, he said, no, you're writing. It's terrible. He said, I'll tell you what I told Dave Whitlock. He said, if you want to wine, go home to your mother. He said, you can't use eye all the time. You've got to mix this up. So truly, uh, you know, you know, I have a bass pond. Um, the You know, these people have been to my pond. They fish. They've done favors for me. Um, when I was in high school, I spent two weeks out west with Ed Shank fishing and Barry Beck. And I just, you know, the, these people were all around me. Um, you know, the Carlisle area, the Mechanicsburg. Um, I grew up with these people and they've, they've helped me immensely. I always say, uh, you know, I left people out, Bob Clouser. I always say, I knew Bob Clouser when he was cutting meat. You know, and looking in the trunk of his car and he's saying, Billy, I think I'm going to open a fly shop. And, you know, before he had his dumbbell eyes, he gave me eyes 
uh, with wires on them. And he said, try these. They, they were taxidermy eyes, eyes that we would put in a squirrel or something, little eyes. And he said, these are great. And, you know, we're using these eyes on woolly buggers and things. And, you know, back in the, the 70s. Um, so really, this Pennsylvania area that I grew up um, it was hard not to be a fly fisherman. My father even fly fished. So uh, those, the people I mentioned, uh, those were uh, mentors to me growing up. Um, one big one that I didn't mention uh, was a, a huge influence on the material end of it. Um, two people, um, one John Vineyard from England that I chauffeured around for a week here. Um, he, he um, amazing man. Uh, one of the owners of Vineyards Tackle in England, huge entity in the U.K., in U- European market, and the United States. Um, we would buy dye from him to do- literally dye materials. And uh, Ed Koch taught me a lot of the dyeing of the materials when I worked for him. Uh, John Vineyard was here to give a presentation for Trout Unlimited and the Harrisburg Fly Fishers dinner. And, again, he... Um, was put up by the owner of the fly shop that I worked at. So um, I drank beer with him, chauffeured him around. A unique thing there, Rob Miller Light, you can see right through it, right in the bottle. Swear to God, we drank at the Boiling Springs Tavern. John Vineyard would not finish the beer. He'd leave about two inches of Miller Light in the bottle. Would not drink it in England. He was like, we don't drink the last, all the sediments. You don't drink that. And I would say, John, over and over, I tried to show him, John, look. And I would chug the beer the last couple inches. There's nothing in there. He would not drink the beer. So big influence with materials. Also, about the same time, uh, mid-70s, 74, Eric Leiser came down from New York. Owned several fly shops over the years wrote books on fly tying materials, numerous fly tying books, uh, came up with photo dyeing duns years ago um, when you couldn't get a natural dun. Don't go to sleep on me. Um, Eric was great. Uh, he would let me go to New York uh, to the uh, Fly Fisher's bookcase, I think. Uh, he had a couple shops again. And um, I could pick through all the necks I wanted and bring them back down. Creams were very difficult to get from China at that time. Uh, Indian necks, very difficult. And we needed the, those to make our duns. And uh, he helped me with bleaching necks. I still bleach necks now. You'll find them on my uh, eBay sites. <clears throat> so Eric Leiser, huge influence on materials. And John Vineyard, um, I raise fly tying birds. I don't know if you've seen my birds out at the ponds. I you had some jungle cock too at one point. Uh, I did. I had uh, thirty jungle cock. Didn't do real well. Very aggressive birds. Uh, they would literally slaughter the hens. They would kill the hens. Um, uh, eventually, I got rid of those. Um, no, the jungle cock. Um, very aggressive males. You open the cage, they would go directly to your face with their spurs. Uh, I would let no one tend to them but me. I tried hatching um, two batches of 48 eggs. Um, None of them hatched uh, in an incubator. 
Uh, I, I had the birds inside the jungle cock, may not have bred the hens, but the hens were ready and the hens were laying. So you've got to obviously collect the eggs when they're available. Um, never got a single peep out of them. Um, didn't work out well, but I had no difficulty getting rid of the, the capes. Um, I, I have probably 150 birds at this time. Uh, the bloodline comes from Darby. Um, it comes from minor, um, you know, a variety of places. Jan Pickle was kind enough to uh, give me some eggs. Uh, so I have Bob Hackle mixed in with mine. Uh, Frank Kuttner, Kuttner up outside of Roscoe, great guy, literally gave me his entire flock of adult birds. Could not get an egg from the man for two years. He calls me up and says, Billy, you want some birds? I said, are you talking eggs? He says, no, birds. He, he said, I can't even get away to fish. He said, I'm getting rid of my flock. Gave them to me, wouldn't take any money. He said, come up and get them. I think there was about 65 birds. Another man, Doc Freed, over um, outside of uh, maybe Livingston Manor. I can't recall right now, but I'm pretty sure Livingston Manor. Uh, very nice man. I got my grizzlies uh, from Doc Freed. Um, if you read Darby, Harry Darby's book, and a lot of these stem from that. A lot of this bloodline comes from Darby. Uh, you'll read Doc Freed's name in there. Of course, being a doctor, he came up with a, an instrument where he actually cut the combs off of the birds, the roosters, because up in New York, their combs would freeze and they would turn black and it would deteriorate. So he would cut the combs off because most people keep the birds outside. And so Doc Freed was very instrumental in my birds. Um, another man... Um, uh, Lynn Brenneman in Mount Holly, he raised show birds and he gave me birds, got me started in the 70s. He also got Shedder started in the, uh, on birds, on fly tying birds. Uh, and I also brought Shedder's line into my line. I actually have some of Whiting's, the Hebert Minor line that I came about some eggs through a friend. And um, I, I was big in the hackle. Uh, I We used to be a Mets distributor back in the 70s when Bucky Mets came on the scene. It was Orvis, Thomas & Thomas, um, Yellow Breeches Fly Shop, Ed Koch's Yellow Breeches Fly Shop. And I used to go up to Bucky Metz's place and pick out the, Met, the Mets hackles there. Um, Bucky's helped me a lot, and I fished out west with Bucky Metz and... Uh, it, it's not worth feeding the birds at this point. The price of feed is outrageous, but they have me hooked, and I, I stick with it. So the material end of it, the fly fishing, the fly tying, this, this, I had a real job, believe it or not, but this has been part of my livelihood um, since I've been in high school. Are you getting to hear what you want to hear? This is more than I was expecting. This is, this is going to end up actually... We're going to make this its own individual podcast. Oh, God. Okay. Well, you're kind, but um, I, I've had a lifetime of heavy hitters. And, you know, it's not dropping names. Um, you know, it's actors and, you know, movie stars and politicians and people. Um, you know, I, I've missed people that I should have mentioned. But, you know, when you've got a microphone in your face, you know, you can't think of everything. But 
uh, when you have a brother working for Orvis, uh, the director of their fishing schools and in their catalog, and, you know, people are kind to you. So that's that's probably part of it. Um, another neat thing, when I was in high, just out of high school, my picture appeared, I think it was 1976, in the Orvis catalog. I wasn't even around. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So it's it's been a fun ride, and now with the internet, um, you know, I, I tried to make a living doing this, and it, it's very difficult. And most people that say, "Oh, I'm in the, this industry," um, I always say, uh, "You probably have a spouse that's working or something." Um, one friend of mine, Ralph Graves, up at Roscoe, great guy, hooked me up with Doc Freed and Frank Kuttner to get my eggs. Uh, for my chickens, uh, it's helped me out a lot. Another mentor I met years ago, uh, he calls me a gigolo. He say, "Can you make a living doing this, Billy?" And I say, "No." He says, "Your wife work?" I say, "Yes." She's a nurse, Nancy. He says, "You're nothing but a gigolo." I said, "Well, it allows me to do, allows me to fish places, go on fishing trips, and meet people um, that uh, are, 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 you know, heavy hitters." Can I title this The Fly Fishing Gigolo with Bill Skilton? And let me tell you, one of my favorite times in this industry, uh, I did write a book, and it's out of print now. You can buy it on CD, uh, or I could send you a, a, a PDF file um, for about 10 bucks. It's called My Fly Patterns, Materials, and Techniques. And I wrote that, oh, geez, about eight years ago. 1,500 copies are gone. A lot of my ideas, techniques... Uh, and, uh, you know, I incorporate other people's ideas, and I switch them and change them a little bit. I give them credit so you know where the ideas come from. But I did the Atlanta Fly Fishing Show about eight years ago. My book was just published, so people were buying it. And this is your honest-to-God's truth. I had Lefty Cray leaning on my table, looking at my Helgramite, saying, Billy, this is the best Helgramite I've ever seen. And I swear to God, Dave Whitlock's tying beside me on my left. Huge mentor, creative fly tire artist, and a guy comes up, and a young guy comes up, and he says, uh, "Do you excuse me? Excuse me?" And he interrupted, and we said, "Sure. What can we do? What you know?" And he says, "Would you mind signing my book?" And I, this is the truth. I'm sitting there, and he pulls my book out, the Lefty Cray, that's written probably thirty books plus. Dave Whitlock, the icon, you know, and he pulls my book out. And it's just uh, a really what makes this moment better is I, he says, Dave says, you have a pen? And I said, sure. And I pull a pen out, and he goes, no. And he pulls about six artist calligraphy-type pens out, and he says, try one of these. So I'm literally signing my book with Dave Whitlock's pen and Lefty Cray leaning on the table. So, you know, that's, that's tough to beat. That's tough to beat. A, a real moment for me. What's next for you? God, you know, I'm, I'm backing off. People say, what's new? What's the new material? What's new? Uh, it's hard to make a living, and um, I have to make a living. So uh, I'll continue in the business. Uh, I close my website down. I see guys on when I Google, they're saying, whatever happened to Bill Skilton? It's like, to me, uh, I don't need a business card. Again, most of my products wholesale, goes overseas. And uh, it's, I'll tell you the honest truth, it's too hard getting paid by fly shops. 
difficult. So I got away, but I do sell to some people that are really like in the industry. Um, eBay's where it's at. They're the 800-pound gorilla for me. Every single day, Rob, half of my product goes out of the country. And it goes to Moscow, and it goes to Israel. Australia is a huge market for me. The U.K. is huge. Uh, countries that the, when I go to the post office, they say, Ooh, where where's that? It's unbelievable. Um, I started a couple years ago, and a fella from Moscow bought my product, emailed me back, and he said, uh, Happy New Year from Moscow. And then I knew eBay's where it's at for me. I get retail price. I allow people to bid on things and make me offers, and I my product sells. And, of course, it sells in the U.S., uh, but, again, people here are more familiar with it. Um, but but that's the future for me. Uh, I might uh, do a video or something here or there, but uh, it's it's nice to go to shows. We're not selling here. We just display the product, and then if somebody would like to purchase it, they go to eBay. My wife and daughters help me with this, and um, it's a little it's fun now. It's fun. It's not worried about getting paid. Uh, obviously, people are familiar with PayPal. I get my money. And we all need our money or, you know, we're not going to pay our bills. This is fun. The commercial fly tying was fun. But, again, when you're paying your mortgage and your car payment and this is your livelihood, um, it, it's a little more serious and it takes the fun out of it. So uh, you need that real job in there or you need another line of work um, to really make ends meet. There's a few people, I think, in the industry making money. But uh, it's not like a real job. Uh, you had a real job once, you know. You get benefits, you get pensions, you get vacations, sick days, holidays. I don't get that. Anyone self-employed, you don't get that. Uh, if you're self-employed, you've got to produce something. So I'm sure I'll continue to produce some. I have some ideas that haven't been out yet. They're still in my head and paper, and we're still testing them. Um, you know, saltwater bass flies and, and, and some trout flies. So it, it'll be a, a, a kind of a work in progress, and I hope to grow old and continue to do this. Thanks so much for joining me. This is going to be its own podcast. And I've been wanting to get you on here since it started. I started podcasting, so I got that, that done finally. Thank you so much, Bill. Rob, I, I just want to say you, you are creative. You've been playing with my stuff and getting your own stuff and ideas, and I've fished with you. I know your stuff works. So, it, you know, you're into the flashes and all that iridescent stuff, too, and, and I appreciate it. It's, it. This has been great. I feel like I'm hoarse from talking, so I hope I covered everything. My arm Thanks. is completely numb from holding this microphone. Thanks. I'll see you later. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This has been a production of Freestone Media at freestone-media.com.